Father God, we thank you for your presence, Lord. And we echo, we echo the angels of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord God Almighty, speak to our hearts today. Lord God Almighty, take this sermon and turn it into a message from your heart to every heart here. I believe you to do this, and I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Psalm 19.1, and I have a picture with it. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. That is a picture from our kitchen window. My wife and I have lived in Astoria for almost 30 years. Before this apartment, we lived in an apartment on 21st Street for about 10 years. And, um, and then the quiet tenants above us moved out. And the guy who moved in after that tenant left was the noisiest neighbor I have ever experienced. And um, I tried so many times to tell him, would you please quit coming home at 2 in the morning and stomping your feet all over your bedroom? And he just laughed at me. And I, I got so desperate. How many have ever been sleep deprived? Oh, man, don't you hate it? It's like you just feel like, I just want some sleep. <laughs> well, I got very sleep deprived to the point I got so desperate, I went upstairs and I told this man, I said, look, I can't sleep between 2 and 3 every morning because apparently that's when you get off work. Please allow me to carpet your bedroom floor. You go to the store, pick it out. I'll go with you and take my credit card. I'll pay the whole thing. And he, he laughed and slammed the door on my face. So my wife and I had to move. And I'm like, God, I don't want to move. I like this neighborhood. And, uh, but we had to. We had to move. And we made a decision. Never again in our lives will we live in an apartment with someone over our head. Because <laughs> even if the people are as quiet as can be, a week later they can move out and noisy neighbors can move in. Amen? And I'm like, Lord, I like this apartment and I don't want to move, but I have to. So we moved and we moved to this apartment that you see, the kitchen window there. We found an apartment on the top floor of a three-floor building. And almost every other building in our neighborhood is only two floors. So guess what? I can see for miles. And I can see the sky. And every morning when I go to the kitchen, I see the beautiful sunrise. And I just stand there and look at that. And I'm like, wow, so beautiful. 
this apartment is actually smaller than the one we had and a lot more expensive than the one we had. And I'm like, God, I don't know why in the world you allowed this to happen. But now, every, just about every single morning, I walk into my kitchen and I look for miles and I see the beautiful, the beautiful sky. And I say, you know, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. And as I look at that, I realize, wow, what a great craftsman God is. Amen? It goes on to say, verse 2, the next slide, or the second slide, day after day they continue to speak. Night unto night they speak. Next slide. They speak without a sound or a... Let me go back. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. The heavens and the sky, they speak they speak of the glory of the Lord. They speak of the craftsmanship of the Lord. Like it says in the next slide, Romans 1.20, ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Nature reveals God's nature. Not mother nature, father nature. Amen? <laughs> they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Often when I'm admiring the beauty of the sky in the morning, I'm reminded of how God began to deal with my heart and how my choices allowed Satan to come and snatch out of my heart what God was trying to do in my life. I was raised in a non-religious, non-Christian home, one in which I was told over and older by my older brothers that the Bible was filled with myths, made up stories, and there was no God. But God started dealing with me in the fifth grade, and it started with a stomach ache. I had a stomach ache in art class, and uh, <clears throat> we had art class right before recess. And, and uh, one day, I we all were doing pastel drawings for a, a school contest. And I drew a barn with a tree behind it. But I had such a stomach ache when it was recess time, I asked the teacher, teacher, can I just stay in and just work on my drawing a little more? I don't feel well. And she said, okay, that's fine. Uh, I'll be up here at the desk. If, if you get worse, I'll take you to the nurse's station. So instead of spending one hour on our drawings, I spent two hours on my drawing. <laughs> and uh, my trees and my clouds and my barn had a lot more detail in it. And I don't think it was so much better. It was just worked on a lot more. But I won first place. 
in the entire school with that pastel drawing in the fifth grade. And then in the years to come, I went into watercolor painting, acrylic, and then oil paintings. And one of my older sisters, she paid for me to take professional art lessons in oil painting one summer. And I began to develop artist eyes. You know what an artist's eyes are? Without realizing it, I was training myself to see, to really see all the beauty around me. You see, to paint trees and mountains and sunsets and sunrises well, you have to carefully study them. And as you carefully study them, you begin to see God's craftsmanship. And when I was 13 years old, I had what I would call an epiphany. I love that word. Epiphany. Anybody had an epiphany lately? I'll tell you what an epiphany is. A sudden realization of spiritual truth. I was walking across a football field one Saturday morning. Beautiful. I believe it was a fall day. Have you noticed that in the fall, sometimes the sky is so incredibly crisp? so incredibly clear, the deep blue of the sky background, and I saw these white, puffy clouds, the most beautiful clouds I had ever seen, and they were slowly floating past me. It was like I could reach up and grab them. They were so incredibly beautiful that I stopped in the middle of the field. No one else was around, but I stopped in the middle of the field, and I said out loud to myself, what a beautiful world we live in. Surely there must be a creator. This creation is so incredibly beautiful. There must be a God. There must be a creator who made all of this beauty. And I realized not only is there intelligent design everywhere, testifying to an intelligent designer, there is beautiful design everywhere, testifying to a master artist, a master creator. We live in a three-dimensional masterpiece painting. This earth is a three-dimensional masterpiece painting that we live in. And it's living and breathing and alive. Hallelujah. And I can continue to say to myself when I was 13, looking up at this sky, and I said, if there's a God then surely he's the center of the universe. Why am I living like I'm the center of the universe? I'm not the center of the universe. God is. No wonder my life is so out of alignment. I need to make God the center of my life. 
because he's the center of the universe. And if I do that, my life will come into alignment. Hallelujah. 13 years old, never been to church, never read the Bible, never heard anybody pray. Here I am talking to myself in this football field. I'm going to learn how to make God the center of my life. <laughs> when I got home, I saw my sister was on the couch. I said, Joyce, you okay? She said, I'm just tired. So I went into the kitchen, and I noticed that she hadn't washed her, the dishes, and it was her turn to wash the dishes. And I thought to myself, you know what? If I'm going to make God the center of my life, then I'm going to have to quit just thinking about me. Amen? <laughs> Maybe I should wash the dishes for Joyce. So that's what I did. She walked into the kitchen when I was almost done. She almost died of a heart attack. <laughs> Charles, what in the world are you doing? Don't you realize it's my turn? Yes, Joyce, but... I thought I'd do them for you since I saw how tired you were. Oh, my goodness. She ran up to me and hugged me and kissed me on the cheek. She said, you're an awesome little brother. And I thought, wow, this making God the center sure is, this, this is pretty cool stuff. <laughs> I had never gone to church, but I was, I was determined to figure out how to make God the center of my life. But Satan was lurking in the shadows like a crow flying down onto the pathway. Next passage, next slide, Mark 4. A far Jesus said a farmer went out to scatter seed in a field. While the farmer was scattering the seed, some of it fell along the road and was eaten by birds. Verse 15, the seeds that fell along the road are the people who hear the message, but Satan soon comes and snatches it away from them. My brother James was 18 months older than me. And we had soon moved to a new town where we had no friends. We knew no one. I had no one to play with except my brother James. And James gave me an ultimatum. Charles, if you don't start getting high with me, I'm going to stop hanging out with you. And initially I said, no, James, I don't want to get high with you because I want to figure out how to make God the center of my life. He said, well, if that's the case, then let's smoke pot because God made pot. I said, God made poison ivy, too, but I'm not going to smoke that. I, I held up for a little while. But then James says this. He said, I'll tell you what. Just get high with me just this one time. And after that, I will stop bothering you. So stupid me said, okay, just this one time. I was 13 years old. I had just had a life-altering epiphany. I can still remember walking with James to the place where he got high, thinking to myself, I don't think I should do this. But James was insistent, 
And I didn't want to lose his companionship. So I took that large, lit marijuana joint from James. I put it to my mouth. I inhaled as much as I possibly could and held my breath as long as possible. And as I inhaled that smoke, I literally felt like someone poured dark, thick, black paint into the top of my head. I felt evil pour into me, and I literally felt innocence leave me, and I was immediately very high. It felt like my brain detached itself from my body and from this world and was peacefully floating down a river. I looked at my brother and said, wow, why didn't you tell me how cool this is? <laughs> and as we laugh about that, I say for the next three years, not one time did I think of God. Not one time, not one time did I think of God. Not one single time. My sinful decision caused Satan to come and snatch out of my heart divine revelation that God had given to me. Gone was the determination to make God the center of my life. That one-time decision snatched the seed of the gospel completely out of my heart. The Lord had come knocking on my door when I was 13. And even though I didn't fully realize it, one sinful choice drowned out his voice. When I got saved when I was 17, I'm like, God, I am so sorry. I've wasted four years you dealt with me when I was 13, and I turned away. So I've been trying to make up for lost time ever since. <laughs> the Lord had come knocking on the door of my heart, and even though I did not fully realize it, one sinful choice, one, one. Are you hearing what I'm saying? One. Drowned out the voice of God for three years. I turned to the darkness of pot and alcohol and harder drugs. I got stoned and high and drunk, usually with my brother, every chance I could. And then when I was 16, our Aunt Martha visited us for the first time and told us about the Lord. And when she's sitting there talking about the Lord, I'm like, oh, my goodness. God, I haven't thought about you in three years. She concluded her talk by saying, if you ever get into trouble, kids, remember, remember what I'm telling you. If you ever get in trouble, call on the Lord Jesus, and he will come and rescue you. Remember that. Well, that Christmas, when I was 16 years old, my parents finally 
got me the one gift that I really, really wanted. Wireframe classes. <laughs> Before that, I had the biggest, thickest plastic glasses. I mean, they were dorky looking. I wanted to be cool. I wanted wireframe glasses. When I finally got them for Christmas, I was so happy. And that winter, I was walking across a tree that had fallen across a creek, a stream. And with my new glasses, I wondered if I could look down and see the fish. So I looked down, and my glasses fell into the stream. And I jumped after them head first. And I swam to the bottom, and I felt around. I couldn't see them because I didn't have my glasses on. But I felt around. <laughs> I came back up for air. I went back down a few times. When I finally gave up and started walking to the shore, my older brother James yelled at me, Charles, get out of that water. Don't you know it's freezing cold out here? You better run home before you freeze to death. And yes, by the time I got out of the river, my hands began to freeze. I don't know why James didn't go home with me. He was probably high on something. But I remember running through an old cornfield on the way home, and the corn stalks were sticking up out of the ice and snow, and I tripped and fell on one of the stalks. And I remember when I hit that hard ground, I just laid there and said, oh, man, it feels nice and warm down here. I think I'll take a nap. And when I almost dozed off, I said, wait a minute. I could die out here. What am I doing? And so I struggled up, and by the time I got home, my body was frozen. My body was so frozen, I could not lift up my hand to, to, to reach the doorknob or to ring the doorbell. And so I just, I went back a few feet and I banged my body into the front door. My mom came out. Uh, yes, can I help you? Excuse me? It, it's, it's, it's me, Charles. <laughs> what? She didn't even recognize me. Next thing I remember, I was lying on the living room sofa bed, wearing my thick plastic glasses. And mom and dad and our uh, country doctor was standing nearby. And dad said, what do you think, doc? He said, well, he's got pneumonia really bad in both lungs. Uh, but our hospital in town is so small, we only have one nurse, so it's better to leave him here, check his temperature every half an hour. If his fever goes past a certain point, we'll have to call a helicopter and, and send him to Nashville. But let's just wait and see. Maybe a little TLC will do the trick. And later that evening, while my family was eating dinner, in the kitchen over there. I was looking out the window and looking at the street light, and I was looking at the ceiling of our living room and thinking of all the cracks in the ceiling. I said, man, we need a paint job, this, this ceiling. And all of a sudden, it, I thought my brother took a black quilt and threw it over my head. I said, James, stop it. Get that quilt off of me. I realized I could not hear anything. I could not see anything, but I could feel the bed underneath me. And then 
I felt my spirit leave my body. I sank down underneath the bed, underneath the floor, and I fell headlong backwards into a deep, dark pit. And I screamed, stop this. This isn't funny. There was no reply. My spirit was falling. I knew I was dying. There was no tunnel of light. There was no bright angels escorting me into heaven. And as I fell backwards into this pit and started going down, I could feel the darkness. It was so thick, I could actually feel it. It was like that thick, black, evil paint. And I started screaming, oh, my God, I'm dying. I'm going down instead of up. God, I'm not ready to die. God, if you're real, please, please don't let me die like this. And I remembered my Aunt Martha. If you ever get into any trouble, call on Jesus and he will rescue you. And my first prayer wasn't much. It was, Jesus, I don't even know if you're real. But I know that I am dying. And I know that I'm going the wrong way. And I know that this thick darkness is horrifying. Please, if you're real, please, the Jesus that my Aunt Martha told me about, please, please, let me wake up. Let me wake up. I'll look for you till I find you. Please, God, please, God, please. And when I woke up and saw the morning sunshine coming through the cloud, the the curtains in the living room. It was the most beautiful sight I'd ever seen. I called on Jesus, and he mercifully allowed me to wake up on this side of eternity. And for weeks after, I was too afraid to go to sleep. My mom would find me in the living room at five in the morning watching old war movies. <laughs> I've seen them all. <laughs> she said, Charles, you got to go to school in a few hours. What in the world are you doing? Can't you sleep? I, wanted, I didn't tell her. The last thing I want to do is go to sleep. If I do, I might fall into that pit again. And if I fall in that pit again, I might not get out. And I started reading the Bible, and I read things like Matthew 8, 11. Many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. I have experienced the darkness of hell. By the grace of God, I woke up the next day. God didn't have to wake me up. I'd already turned away from him. I didn't have to wake up. I already turned away from him. 
But I did wake up. Amen. <laughs> and I started reading the Bible. And then I read in Second uh, Peter 2, 4, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to reserve for judgment for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I have felt that eternal darkness. Hell is a place of black, thick darkness. And a few months later, I got saved. And I knew Jesus had saved me from sin and from hell. And I said, Lord, you rescued me. You really did rescue me. My Aunt Martha said, if I call on you, you'd rescue me. Well, you rescued me. And I give you the rest of my life. I'll go anywhere you want. I'll do anything you want. He said, I want you to be a missionary in New York City. I said, I'll go anywhere but New York City. <laughs> it took a few months of, you know, prayer and getting my courage up. But looking back over my life and over my testimony, I want us to take a few lessons to heart. <coughs> Number one, next slide. Years of God dealing with me were wiped out through one bad choice. Ugh. Years of God dealing with me Wiped up by one bad choice. One more high just might be your last. And if we love darkness, we will perish. You say, where do you get that from? Most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes is not condemned. I got it memorized. <laughs> Next slide. Through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Next slide, please. That the light has come into the world and man loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices evil hates. Notice loved hates. Loved hates. Men love darkness rather than light. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. God has sent to each of us his son, and now it's a matter of the heart. What will we love? What will we hate? Let's love God and hate evil, hate sin. Hate darkness, hate compromise, hate the evil of this world, hate the devil who deceives people and tries to snatch the gospel seeds out of our hearts. Proverbs 23, 26. 
Oh, my son, give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my ways. A prostitute is a dangerous trap. A promiscuous woman is as dangerous as falling into a narrow well. And prostitutes are not the only trap that the devil has waiting for us. Amen? Amen. And I believe this is a word from the Lord for all of us. So, oh, my son, or oh, my daughter, oh, my son, give me your heart. Give me your heart. Fall in love with God. Fall in love with God. Give me your heart. Give me to your heart to the point you take delight in God's ways. Amen? Amen. The remedy for the traps of the enemy is giving our hearts to God to the point that we take delight in the things of God. Job said, and I don't have this verse up. You can just leave that one up. In 27.8, Job said, what is the hope of the hypocrite? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? And the answer is no. Hypocrites don't delight in God. Hypocrites are just acting. The word hypocrite means an actor, two-faced. I've seen a lot of Hypocrites in Teen Challenge. They play the role, but they never fall in love with Jesus. They don't delight in the things of God. As soon as they leave, they start praying. Why? Their heart never was into praying. As soon as they leave, they stop seeking God. Why? Their heart never was into seeking God. They were playing. It was an act. Now, I must say, when I got saved, my first couple of years of walking with God, I'd be ashamed to list all the sins I committed. I love God a whole lot more than when I first got saved 42 years ago. But when I got saved, I gave him my heart. And I gave him my heart over and over and over and over. You know how to do that, right? You call a girl and you just keep calling her. You just keep calling her. You just keep calling her. You just keep going to her. You just keep going to her. Just keep going to her. You've given your heart to her. You're going after her. You keep communicating with her. That's what I've done with the Lord. I said, Lord, I do not want to go down into that pit ever again. And I want to help rescue people from hell. I don't want to go to New York for vacation. I want to go on a mission. I want to be a missionary. I want to join Jesus' search and rescue mission, the great co-mission. Amen? Jesus is on a mission. He didn't die on a cross because he had nothing to do that day. He did that to rescue you and me from hell. 
He did that to take our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we would not perish. Amen? Amen. And I see people come through Team Challenge, and they've got the lingo down pat. They even have, they're even good at following the rules. They even do everything we say sometimes. What happened to brother so-and-so? Oh, man. So I, I believe this is a word. My son, give me your heart until you learn how to delight in my ways. Amen? It's like if, if, you, if you really give God your heart and keep giving God your heart, not just a one-time thing, keep giving God your heart. I believe this passage is like, well, how do I know that I really love God? Because Job said, what is the hope of the hypocrite? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? And the answer is no. People who go through Teen Challenge and never fall in love with Jesus, their prayer life is the first thing to go when they leave. Why? They wake up in the morning. They don't love Jesus. They don't love prayer. They love that girl down the street. They're going to call her first thing in the morning. Well, like I say, I, as a baby Christian, I, my prayer was, God, I, I don't delight in you the way I want to. <laughs> I want to love you. I want to learn how to love you. I want to learn how to love prayer. I want to learn how to love reading the Bible. So Lord, I give you my heart. Teach me to delight in you. I've seen too many people playing games. Satan's not playing games. If he can snatch out of your heart what God is trying to put in there, he'll do it. Let me put it this way. If you allow him to come and snatch out of your heart what God is trying to do, he'll do it. But instead... Let's all learn how to love Jesus, how to love the Bible, how to love prayer, how to love the things of God. Give your heart to the Lord. You say, I did. I said that prayer. No, I didn't say say a prayer. Give your heart. Like an, like an NFL quarterback would give himself to football. <laughs> give your heart to God. If, if you love him just a little bit, let him fan that flame 
and cause you to love God fervently. Amen? Why don't we all stand? And if the Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Father God, you know, Lord, that I care about these dear men in the program, God. And I pray, Father God, I, I remember when I was a baby Christian, Lord. Lord, I, I, I had like one foot in God and one foot in the world. And I was, I was, afraid, of, I was afraid of so many stupid things, Lord. And God... I just kept giving you my heart. Just kept giving you my heart. I started to, I started to fall in love with Jesus. A love affair with Jesus, my Lord and my God, my Savior. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, protect us, Lord. Protect us from the birds of the air. Protect us, Lord from the attacks of the enemy that would try to come and snatch out of our hearts. Oh, God. Greg, if you want to strum something, that'd be cool. I pray in the name of Jesus, oh, Lord, <clears throat> that you would give to us today a new heart and a new start and a new beginning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe this is a word from the Lord. I mean, just as if... God Almighty, the Heavenly Father, were to walk into this room. My son, give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my ways.